You're listening to Hidden History, and I'm your host, Ellis Tucci. If you know any way that we can improve our content for you, the listener, drop us a line at hiddenhistory.show forward slash contact. To catch up on all our past episodes and hear new ones every week, head on over to your Apple Podcasts app, Spotify, or hiddenhistory.show and learn something new today. I've been in a bit of a time crunch this week, so this episode is going to be both a little shorter than usual, hopefully, and a little different than usual. In the vein of past episodes on architectural history and sexuality in the colonial period, I just kind of want to talk a little bit about some things that I personally find very interesting. Draw some connections, ask some questions, all that sort of stuff. And fair warning, the formatting and editing of this episode is a little more casual than usual, so if you like my more formal style, maybe this isn't going to be your favorite episode. So today I wanted to talk a little bit about two mythological locations that came to being about 500 years apart, but are arguably the exact same place down to the last detail. I also want to talk a little bit about the conditions that created the need to create these fictional lands of plenty, as well as the whole notion of heaven on earth. So I'm Ellis Tucci, this is Hidden History, and you're listening to episode 39, A Land of Milk and Honey. First, I want to talk about the fantastical, medieval peasant dreamland that was Cocaine. Did I say that right? Did I say that right? I just had to confirm that I did, in fact, say that right. Well, anyway, I'm going to start by talking about Cocaine. But when historically to start talking about Cocaine? Well, that's a different story. Like a lot of oral tradition myths, there is no way to tell when the myth was first told. It's impossible to trace it back to its originator. But we do know that it starts appearing in texts in the 1300s. Oh, the 1300s, you say? That's an awful vague window. Couldn't you narrow it down a little? Well, first off, I'd like to see you try and do better. And second off, I can narrow it down a little. One of the places where cocaine first appears is in this collection of poems that are kind of like the Rosetta Stone look into the development of the Irish language. I mean, that's overstating it. Okay, it's not the Rosetta Stone, but it is a really interesting window into linguistic development. So anyway, these poems are referred to as the Kildare poems, and although there isn't a specific date of writing for these, they came into being around 1330 or 1350. So obviously I'm not an authority on medieval texts, I've really always been more of a Bronze Age guy between you and me, uh, but I think that there is at least one important thing that we can deduce from the poem The Land of Cocaine being in this book. In the Middle Ages, writing was expensive, so not just any story would have been written down. It would stand to reason that mainly popular or well-known stories would be committed to paper. So even though we have the Kildare poems showing up around the middle of the 1300s, I think that it would be reasonable to say that the story probably already had a few years behind it. So now you've gotten the super concentrated lesson on a book of poems that mentions this fantastical place that I have not talked about at all yet, so let's fix that. What exactly is Cocaine? Essentially, it's heaven on earth, paradise for the medieval peasant. 
Not only did the geese roast themselves, but they flew right into your mouth. Pigs came with knives attached so that they could be carved up all the easier. Rivers flow with milk, honey, and wine. Water is only used for bathing. Napping was a well-paying job, and sex was abundant. It was essentially a peasant's dream come true, an escape from the brutal hardships of medieval life that you could dream about while tilling the fields. Oh, and that book that holds the Kildare poems, and consequently the very lewd poem, The Land of Cocaine, is thought to be an oration book belonging to a traveling preacher. Nice. So, like all, or almost all, mythical locales, Cocaine never had a stated place on the map. It was seemingly always just around the bend, just out of reach. One thing that is interesting about it, though, is that a large number of the stories that take place in Cocaine seemingly aren't genuine wishes for a better life for the peasantry, but rather satirical works aimed at the policies of the church. Now, there could be two reasons for this. The first being that it really was only a subversive tool of social criticism, which I don't think is nearly as fun of an option. And the second being that the cocaine stories gained this religious twist to them because that's who was writing them down, monks. And who doesn't want to write themselves in as the main character? A lot of the stories that still exist focus in large part on the raucous and wild life of the friars from the local monastery, who were much more focused on sleeping with nuns than they ever were with prayer. If we accept this second option is true, then that would imply the existence of another version of the cocaine story tradition that focuses more on the escapist land of peasant delights. If that is the case, it appears that that second story has died out one of the many downsides of a largely illiterate population. So, now that we have the background on cocaine, it's time to talk about its relatively modern mirror twin, and that comes in the form of a late 1890s folk ballad called The Big Rock Candy Mountain. Now, The Big Rock Candy Mountain differs from cocaine in one really significant way, in that it's never really depicted as a place people might actually believe in. Now, keep in mind that because of the sources available, we also don't know if any amount of people actually believed in cocaine, but it's important to remember that people have believed in arguably stranger things before and after the appearance of cocaine into folklore canon. Uh, the Big Rock Candy Mountain was first sung in the 1890s by a folk artist and part-time hobo, Harry McClintock, and specifically, while cocaine is depicted as the peasant's paradise, Big Rock Candy Mountain is depicted as the hobo's paradise. Cigarettes grow on bushes, there's lakes of stew and whiskey, there is no work. In fact, they killed the guy that invented it. Uh, not only are all the jailhouses made of tin, but the cops have wooden legs to boot. Every single boxcar is empty. Now that we're up to more modern times, I have the advantage of being able to find pretty accurate dates of things, which in this case turns out to be pretty important contextually. A song about the hobo's heaven first appears in the 1890s, which I would argue is no coincidence. The Panic of 1893 sent huge shocks through every sector of the American economy. I just mentioned something about the Panic of 1893 in a recent episode, but for the life of me, I can't remember the context, but no matter. This ballad about escaping to a land that exists beyond the corporeal struggles of life emerges during a time of economic hardship. It was first recorded in 1928, 
again by Harry McClintock. Minutes from the midnight that would be the Great Depression, which is the period with which the song is culturally most closely associated. So interesting stuff, but how did one become the other? How did a story from the 1300s make that transitional jump to modernity? Well, that one is, thankfully, pretty easy to answer. And it's through a broadside ballad published in 1635 called An Invitation to Lubberland, which is essentially the missing link between the two places. In fact, even in the first verse, there's a direct link to the lyrics of Big Rock Candy Mountain. There is all sorts of fowl and fish with wine and store of brandy. Ye have there what your hearts can wish. The hills are sugar candy. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but that seems pretty obvious to me. If you want to go on and read the whole ballad yourself, it's easy to find and honestly pretty entertaining. I was surprised by how much I could enjoy satirical songs from the 1600s, but you may know where you stand on that issue already, so I won't subject you to that here. Uh, instead, I want to ask one question of you before I end this episode, and this is it. Since we can trace the lineage of this sort of utopia for the common man back over 700 years, why is it that we don't have any truly comparable current modern equivalent? Could it just be that music tastes have changed? Or maybe we just don't dream like we once did? Or maybe our form of wish fulfillment is simply listening to and watching the rich and famous live their lives. But that is another topic for another time. To end this week's episode, here's The Big Rock Candy Mountain, recorded by Harry McClintock in 1928. This is Ellis Tucci at Hidden History, signing off. One evening as the sun went down and the jungle fire was burning, down the track came a hobo hiking, and he said, boys, I'm not turning, I'm headed for a land that's far away, beside the crystal fountains, so come with me, we'll go and see the big rock candy mountains. In the big rock candy mountains There's a land that's fair and bright Where the handouts grow on bushes And you sleep out every night Where the boxcars all are empty And the sun shines every day On the birds and the bees and the cigarette trees The lemonade springs where the bluebird sings In the big rock candy mountains In the big rock candy mountains All the cops have wooden legs and the bulldogs all have rubber teeth And the hens lay soft-boiled eggs The farmer's trees are full of fruit And the barns are full of hay Oh, I'm bound to go where there ain't no snow Where the rain don't fall, the wind don't blow In the big rock candy mountains In the big rock candy mountains You never change your socks And the little streams of alcohol Come a-trickling down the rocks the brakemen have to tip their hats and the railroad bulls are blind. There's a lake of stew and a whiskey too. You can paddle all around them in a big canoe in the big rock candy mountains. In the big rock candy mountains, the jails are made of tin. And you can walk right out again as soon as you are in. There ain't no short-handled shovels, no axes, saws, or picks. 
I'm a going to stay where you sleep all day, where they hung the Turk that invented work in the big rock candy mountains. I'll see you all this coming fall in the big rock candy mountains. I'll see you all this coming fall in the big rock candy mountains.